Welcome to the Sisters in Service podcast. My name is Kat Corchado, also known as the voice connecting women veterans nationwide. This podcast is for anyone connected with the military, from veterans, male and female, military spouses, military brats, even parents who may have children who are in the military. As an Air Force veteran, I understand the trials and triumphs that women veterans go through in service and out of service. And so I wanted to find a way that I could put it out there into the airwaves and let everyone know what we're going through and find a way and a solution to what's happening to us in the service. I also like to highlight these women who are business owners, they're entrepreneurs, they're bosses in their business. And so I hope that you will follow me, you will share, and you will subscribe to this podcast, which comes out every week on Tuesdays. And as always, please stay safe, take care of each other until next time. And it's never too late to start your impossible. Welcome sisters in service to another episode of our podcast. And you know me, my name is Kat Corchado, the host. And my guest today is a military spouse and her name is Britt Lanza. And we're going to talk about a few things about her being a military spouse, her introduction to that, why she started her um, her business called New Altitudes, and the fact that she's a podcast host. Yes, I was on her show too. And what she has seven of in her refrigerator. So stay tuned for that. So let me say first, Brett, welcome to Sisters in Service. Oh my gosh, I'm so honored. Thank you so much, Kat. This is so great. I'm so glad to have you. So we were just kind of laughing a bit about her name. Now, not the fact that she's called Brittany, but she. I asked her, does she like to go by Brittany or Brit? I love calling people by the name they prefer. And she said she loves Brit. But listen to how she says why. So Brit, can you explain a little bit about why you prefer Brit over Brittany? Yeah. So I was 15 and I was at a modeling competition and convention. It's called IMTA. If you're in the acting or modeling space, you may have heard of it. And there is a guy giving a presentation and I'm an impressionable 15-year-old. And he's talking about all the different stereotypes types of names and actors and, you know, characters in movie films. And, you know, Bill is always the guy with the beer gut who can fix stuff. You know, you've got Uncle Joe, who's probably missing a tooth here or there, drives a pickup (laughs) truck. And then you've got Brittany, who is always the girl in the horror movies that dies first. And my jaw just fell to the floor. I got goosebumps and I was like, I... I have to change my name. Like I can never be Brit. Like I never want to be known as the person who's going to die first. Like I would never hide in a saw closet or, you know, I'd never open the door. Like why? Let me go outside and see what that noise is. You're like, that's not me. No, I'm like in my house, turning off the lights and like running to bed real quick before something grabs my feet. Like that is me. Like I am not the adventurous in regards to horror things. So no, that would not be me. (laughs) And so then I followed that up with the fact that there was a time when you did not see African-Americans in horror movies for whatever reason that was. And then you started seeing them in, in movies and they were, and I said this to her, I said, I'm not sure if they went before Britney or after Britney, but they were never in the, in the latter part of the movie alive. That is just saying. So (laughs) yes. Oh my gosh. So, Britt, your husband is an Air Force 
um, not a veteran. He's still active duty, but he's active duty reserve, correct? Yeah, he's part of the ART program, if anybody's in the Air Force and is familiar. Nice. So what does he do? So he is in maintenance, and I don't talk about this a whole lot, but he actually is one of the people who builds the bombs for everybody on base. So he has a pretty important job. The good thing is that no matter where he is, as long as he does his job right, he should come home safe and sound, and I don't really have to worry about it too much because he's you know, behind the scenes, mm-hmm. but he's got a pretty important job. That is pretty important. I never thought, you know, you think of the bombs, but you don't think of anybody who's putting them together. He's one of those people. Oh. Yeah. And See? it's like 106 outside and he's out there because you can't do it inside. So he's out there in the <laughs> right? middle of the heat in all in of a his desert. Uniform, you know, in those stinky boots building bombs. <laughs> oh, wow. So let me ask you this question. Were you familiar, did you have any familiarity with the military before you were introduced to it? Yeah, so my dad, who's actually my my stepdad, uh, he met me and my mom when I was two, and he actually enlisted in the Coast Guard. So we were stationed, he went through basic training in Texas while we were all in Vermont, uh, and he came home and then we were uh, PCS to Port Arthur, Texas, and then to a few different places in Washington. I don't really remember. I was really, really little. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the first probably 10 years of my life, we were Coast Guard family. Uh, and then we moved back to Vermont and I thought I was done with the military. And then I met my husband on a dating app and the rest is history. So... Wow. I'm not sure I could do the dating app thing now. I'm just saying. I just, you know, I've heard horror stories. So congratulations on finding a gem of a husband um, on on a dating app. But I wanted to ask you, what was your first experience as a military spouse? You know, the... Mm -hmm. Anyone who's in the military, your first introduction is boot camp. Yay. Hello to the military. But as a military spouse, what was your first experience as a military spouse? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So even before I was a military spouse, you know, when we were engaged and all of that, Nick made it a point that his job stopped at the door. And so he wore his uniform to and from, you know, work, but that was the majority of military life. You know, he had a pretty regular schedule. He came home almost on time every day and it wasn't really like, like it was a thing, but it wasn't a big deal to us. You know, his schedule was the same. He had to work nights sometimes, but again, like we kept it very separate. And then he got deployment orders to Afghanistan And we were like, okay, well, let's get married before that happens. And it was almost like the turning of a dial when we became married because all of a sudden I was hit with a lot of stereotype language and voices, both internal and external, and even from my own husband, that was very derogatory towards military spouses, like dependapotamuses and dependas and all this stuff. No. 
Oh, yeah. That's uh, what my husband. I've never heard that before. Oh, yeah. No, my husband loved the term dependipotamus. He thought it was the funniest thing ever. And I was like, I will never be one of those, right? I will never be a quote unquote military spouse. Joke's on me because of where I am now. <laughs> but, and, you know, when I met Nick, we were both well advanced into our careers, which I think is a unique twist. Uh, a lot of military spouses meet their significant other very young. They're very fortunate in that. I'm very jealous that you guys got extra time with your spouses because I wish I had extra years with Nick. But I was well into my corporate career. I had six years of climbing the corporate ladder under my belt. I was the breadwinner in our family. You know, I was really doing all of the things. And as soon as we got married, the language of, oh, well, you can kiss that six figure job goodbye. And, you know, oh, well, <laughs> climbing the corporate ladder, well, that's a joke now. And all of these things that were really putting this pressure on me to give up my own goals and dreams because I was married to Nick and because I fell in love with him. And, you know, that whole stereotypical, you know what you signed up for. Well, like you, you may have signed the papers, but you have no idea until you've been through it what exactly it is that you've quote unquote signed up for. So there was just a lot of negative stereotypical language in my direction. And so I honestly revolted. And throughout the entire time that he was in Afghanistan, I refused to connect with a military spouse. Um, I didn't want to be part of the community at all. Not at all. Well, you know, they say that if they wanted you to have kids or a spouse, they would have issued it to you, right? <laughs> That's what we were told. Well, you know, so you kind of just said, nope, I'm not getting involved with the military community, um, especially the military spouses. What, when and where, well, at what point did that change for you or did it? Yeah, it definitely did. Uh, I, you know, I'm now actually on the board of our spouse club. Like, oh, look at you. Total. Okay. <laughs> total 180. But you know, I had a singular friend whose boyfriend was also overseas with my husband. And so we had that in common. We hung out a lot. We could ask each other questions. But apart from that, we never really integrated into the community. We were both very timid in that aspect. She had attended a spouse event and didn't have an, an enjoyable experience. Um, and so she relayed that information to me, which I think is usually how it goes in the military spouse communities of, oh, you went and you hated it. Okay, I'm not even going to try. And so what ended up happening is we hung out until deployment. And then when deployment was over, we had our significant others back and you know, life went, quote unquote, back to normal. But for Nick and I, it didn't. Nick came home very angry, very upset. There were a lot of things that had happened over there. One of those things being that uh, January 7th was a terrible experience for us. And he ended up writing his last goodbyes to me. And it was told to us to write our last goodbyes to them as well because they weren't sure that they were going to make it. Oh and for goodness. someone who had been on base in a building safe and sound for seven months, it totally rocked our world. I mean, nobody ever expects to say their goodbyes to their significant other. But I just remember calling my parents and crying and going, like, what do you tell somebody before they die? Like, 
like, what do you, what do you say? Like, what's, you know, like nothing's going to make this better. Nothing's going to make this okay. So like, what do you say to him? And it was an experience that I think really shook our marriage because he came home slightly disjointed and disconnected. And I was like, oh, I want to help, right? Like, I want to, I want to help you reintegrate. And, you know, I've heard of reintegration. This must be it. Let's be best friends. Let's hang out all the time. And we went from having separate independent lives as much as we could with him in Afghanistan to all of a sudden we're married. <laughs> and the reintegration process for us was very, very catastrophic for us. There were times where we talked about the big D, the divorce word. And honestly, that is when I was like, you know what? If anybody knows what the heck is going on, it's other military spouses. And there's no way that it is all bad or else nobody would do it. Like it wouldn't be a thing. And so- I was like, there are spouses who have been in for 20 plus years. There are spouses who have been in for six months and maybe they could help me understand this pivotal moment where I'm learning how to be a military spouse for the first time. And so I decided I was going to write a handbook, never came to fruition, but I posted on our DM, Davis Monthan Spouses page, and I was like, hey, I'm trying to write this handbook. I have so many questions as a new spouse. I just want to kind of interview people, document my findings and my answers, and I want to put this on the internet for everybody to enjoy. I had over 120 comments from different military spouses. There's your handbook right there. (laughs) That's when I knew. I was like, first of all, this can't be a handbook, like 120 people. Like that would be... That's like a book. Plethora of, yeah. <laughs> I was like, this has to be a podcast. Yes. This has to be a podcast. I have to get this out there. And it was really seeing so many people within only a few miles of where I lived showing up and saying, I want to help you because it gets better. I want to help you because it's hard. I want to help you because the stereotypes are wrong. Like that fueled me and still to this day gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. Yeah. You know, it's hard to, when I was younger, because my dad was military, so I was a military brat, that when my dad went to Vietnam, my mother, I never really understood the role of, you know, I didn't think military spouse, I thought mom, and we're in Mm. the military. So I think when one person's in the military, the whole family is, number one. Number two, I didn't understand what military spouses go through when their significant other goes on deployment or like my father had gone to Vietnam and everything was placed on my mom's back. Now, back in the day, this we're talking back in the 70s, y'all. When my dad went to Vietnam, we were living on base and we had to move off base. We could not stay on base. Yes. Wow. And when he came back, we were you know, allowed to come back on base. I know that that, that's changed. But military spouses have a huge role and their, their, it's not their job, but their role is difficult, just like it is for the, the military person who's active duty. They're just different. The military spouse role is difficult. The active duty person is, their role is difficult. And so there isn't, you know, well, my, I'm hard, you know, my job's harder than yours type of thing, you know, but I've been talking a lot to military spouses about that reintegration. And a lot of them has said that, you know, they, 
the military person gets deployed, they have to take on everything. So you either shy away from it, which I don't know how you do that, or you take it on full full speed ahead. And so the military member comes back and you're just trucking along going, I got this, I got this, I can do this, I can do that, da, da, da. I don't have to go anywhere. You can just sit there, enjoy, do what you need to do. And then that that spouse feels, that military member feels like you don't need them anymore. Yeah. And so there's that, you know, you're like, oh, we're going to be one big happy family. And then it's not. And you're like, what's wrong? So I'm, I'm from what you said, I'm assuming that those were some of the questions you had, which why you reached out about, hey, I've got questions. <laughs> Who can help me on this? And you got all of this response. So when did you start? So tell us the name of your podcast and um, a little bit about it. Yeah. So now it's called Moments with an M-E-O. The very first season, it was called Moments with a Milso. And my first season, I literally just interviewed anybody who would give me the time of day. And what was really cool was I would find people who I thought were inspiring military spouses, people who had businesses, people who were making their dreams happen, people who were scientists and, you know, all these things. And I would reach out to them and say, hey, I've got this podcast. I'm just trying to share what military spouse life is like. I would love for you to be an example by coming on the podcast and doing an episode with me. And more than 85% of the people I asked would come back and say, oh, I'm not that spouse. Oh, I'm not spouse enough. Oh, we live on base. Oh, we don't live on base. I've never been through a deployment. I've only been through one deployment. We've never PCS. We've only PCS three times. And all these different things kept coming up. And I realized that we are all internally ingesting these voices of these stereotypes of what it means to be a military spouse. And if you don't fit that, you feel like you shouldn't be representing military spouses and that you're not the real deal. And I was like, first of all, that's very validating for me because now I feel good because I'm like, cool, I'm not alone in this feeling of like, I don't fit in, I don't belong. But then it also led to more conversations about what is a real military spouse. And that is such an eclectic variety of people that there's no one answer. Like there, there is no box to put us in. We're all standing on the box and we're all voicing something totally different, which I think is so beautiful. I totally understand that. It's, it's kind of like podcasting. We're both podcasters, right? And we're podcast hosts, but we're all different. We don't fit the same mold, but we're all in the same group. And I think it's the way for military spouses, you're all military spouses. Your experiences are just a little different. Your experience as a podcaster is different than my experience, but we're both podcast hosts. And so I, I find it very interesting that you said that because I never thought about it like that before. Um, I know that you have. Um, moments with an MEO, which is a play on CEO. So can you explain that one for for our audience? Yeah. So now the podcast is called Moments with an MEO, which is a military or military spouse CEO. And I interview and give tips for small business owners who are in the military 
community. So whether you are a veteran or even active duty business uh, or you're a military spouse, which is the primary focus of my show, um, it's all about growing your business and growing your goals and doing the darn thing for yourself. So I actually was coming up with that while interviewing someone for season one. And I was like, she was like, oh, MEO sounds great. You know, like a play on CEO. Like, I think you could totally roll this, like trademark it, put it out there. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. And you're going to be the very first episode of season two where I change the name and we actually go, you know, because the first season was really just me having questions. And I was like, I have so many questions. And instead of, you know, sitting down with someone over coffee and, you know, trying to ask them like, you know, all these deep questions that we get to ask as podcasters, it was just so much easier. And it was almost like a barrier was removed when I was like, Hey, I want to, I want to, I want to ask you a million and one questions on a show. Like, will you give me an hour of your time? And I'm literally just going to be curious. And my show saved my marriage because it really told me that first of all, I wasn't alone. Second of all, reintegration is awful and it happens to all of us. Third, I was doing it way wrong. I needed to give my husband space. I needed to let him settle in. And I just had no clue. And you wanted to be besties. Oh, let's do everything together. Let's, you know, and he's like, I wanted to pulling help. Away. Yes, of course. Yeah. And so instead of helping, I was smothering, is really what ended up happening. And so, you know, but as someone who has never experienced, I mean, I experienced deployments, but I was five. Like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. remember how I handled my dad coming home or, you know, any of that. And so I just didn't know. And there was so much that I didn't know. And then I realized just how incredibly inspiring these military spouse entrepreneurs were. And I knew I was like, I need to keep talking to them. I want to help them grow their business. Like this is where it's at for me. This is my passion. And it just, I mean, it's escalated exponentially since. Let's go back to your corporate life for a minute. Do you miss it? And And was the transition difficult for you? to leave it. Yeah. So it's interesting because until I realized what entrepreneurship was, I thought corporate life was the gig for me. It was stable. It was consistent. It was reliable, which are three things that don't exist in the entrepreneurship space at all. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, like, do I miss the paychecks every two weeks on the dot, like consistently forever? Yeah, I do, because that stability was really helpful. I mean, Nick and I could plan vacations a little bit further in advance. And if things went south, that was okay. We had insurance for that. Right. But, you know, Do I miss working for the big man? No. Do I miss having to follow somebody else's protocols, even if they weren't right because Mm -hmm. it was the quote unquote protocol? No. Do I miss my patients? Yes. I was a hearing healthcare advocate and specialist. So I was licensed in the state of Arizona to, I did uh, hearing tests, hearing aids, worked with our deaf community here. And so I missed those connections, those in-person connections that I don't get now that I'm spending 90% of my day behind my desk. But I don't miss the lack of autonomy that I now have. I have so much freedom. I have so much uh, deeper understanding. And I honestly have a lot more self-confidence because I had to get here. (laughs) And there's only one way to get here, and that's to either fake it till you make it or keep practicing until – 
you get something that's okay enough to be like, okay, I did that. Absolutely. I don't think I miss it. I miss the stability for sure. And I miss the the consistency and the reliability that I had in it. Um, but I don't miss the actual job. I don't miss my bosses or my supervisors or anything like that. Like they were great, no horror stories, but you know, I really do enjoy making my own schedule. The shift was difficult because I was doing this. I was I was doing a being a business coach for military spouses for about a year, year and a half before I actually quit. And it was six months before I quit my corporate job. I said I I went to Nick and I was like, okay, if I make enough to cover my student loans, which are two grand a month, they're expensive because wow. I yeah I came out of college with two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt. So I was like, if I make enough to cover that. Like your bills, like your paycheck will cover everything else. We'll be okay. And I want to be able to quit. And so I said, if I make two grand a month, can I quit my corporate job and try this thing called entrepreneurship? I'm not really sure if it'll work or not, but like, can can I give it a go? And he was like, yeah, sure. Once you hit 2K for three months in a row, we'll give it a shot. And so I did that. I, I was aiming for October, but it happened in June. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, let's, let's do the thing. And Two weeks after I quit my corporate job, two weeks after, you know, my last day, I ended up falling and injuring myself for eight months. Oh my goodness. So I was like, well, I wasn't going to be able to work anyway. (laughs) Well, there Um, you go. (laughs) So, you know, was it, you know, was it perfect timing? I'm not sure. But I needed to take the leap. And honestly, I don't think I would have if I didn't have such a strong support system in my husband and in my clients and other entrepreneurial friends and the podcast for sure. Absolutely. I think an entrepreneur's journey is and can be very lonely. It is. But if you put yourself out there to be among other entrepreneurs and and glean as much information as you can to make yourself better in whatever your business is, I think it makes you better as a person and as an entrepreneur. But if you choose to just stay in your own lane, which is okay, but everyone else is having a car party over there, you know, and you want to be over there, then, you know, it can be very lonely. And so my question to you is when you are, you're now an entrepreneur, but even if you were to move, you can take all of this with you. It's not like, oh, I got to quit a job. Now I got to go here and find another job, which is what a lot of spouses have had to do. But so many of them now are just bosses in their business. I mean, I see them out the time. Oh, I'm a military spouse and I'm doing this. And I'm thinking, holy crap. And if I'd been smart, as a military member, because a lot of active duty people are already being entrepreneurs as active duty people. Mm-hmm. And I thought, dang it. <laughs> Why <laughs> didn't I think about that? But, you know, it is what it is. Timing is everything. Uh, so give us a little insight into New Altitudes LLC. What is it? Who's it for? And how do they sign up for it? Yeah, absolutely. So New Altitudes is inspired by mine and my husband's love of hiking. You know, we were really 
especially in the the pits of the pandemic, if you will, you know, we were spending as much time as we could out on the hiking trails. That's was our love language. And we loved going on the trails with we've got two dogs. And so they love to go out on the trails too. And there's this inspiring and almost calmness that comes to you as you're cresting the final hill and you're overlooking everything and it's about time to head back to the car. But until then, you're just like enjoying the view and there's nothing around you. There's no noises. There's no electronics. You know, cell service doesn't work. So your phone and your watch and your everything else aren't dinging at you. And there's just this peacefulness that overcomes you when you're on the hiking trail. And I was like, I want to give that gift of calmness, of peace, of just a deep-rooted understanding that everything is okay and where it's meant to be in the world to all of these military spouses. I was like, I just want to I just want to give calmness and peace when our lives are so chaotic and messy and, you know, active and constantly moving and shifting and changing. And I want to give this gift to them. And so that's where New Altitudes was born. And it has developed over time. Again, I started this in 2020. And since then, I've been a business coach for military spouse entrepreneurs for many years. Um, we actually just acquired Milso Box. You're the very first person to know. Ooh, um, so, exclusive, you guys, exclusive. <laughs> yes. So we are now the owners of Milso Box. Uh, we purchased it literally yesterday. Um, (laughs) So we're now a subscription box for military spouses and patriotic people um, and as well as first responder spouses. And uh, the podcast is honestly like my love because it's, it's how everything got started. And I honestly don't think I would be where I am today without my podcast. So you can find us on Instagram. That's where I love to hang out at New Altitudes. Um, you can also find us at Milso Box if you're interested in the subscription box as well. I do have an Instagram for the podcast, but I only created it so that other people wouldn't steal it in case I decide to do something with it later. So really new altitudes on Instagram is where you're going to find everything about the podcast and coaching opportunities and all of that. Yeah. And we'll make sure we post that too um, in the show notes so everyone knows how to get a hold of you. So last question. On your bio, you said that there was seven of something in your refrigerator, number one. Number two, what is it? And number three, why don't I have some? (laughs) I can absolutely send you some. (laughs) So I think I mentioned earlier that I grew up for the most part in Vermont when we weren't traveling around for the Coast Guard. And so Vermont is known for two things, Ben and Jerry's and maple syrup, both of which are- I love both, by the way. Me too. Me too. Uh, so yes, Ben and Jerry's is great, but it's really hard to like ship that. Um, and yes, I can get it, but not every flavor. And a lot of people don't know, but when you tour the factory, you get to see in Vermont, you get to see like all the different flavors of ice cream. And there's so many that aren't in stores that you cannot get unless you're in Vermont at an official Ben and Jerry's place. So long story short, it's not Ben and Jerry's. Um, <laughs> I have. Oh, dang it. (laughs) I know. 
I have at least seven different types of maple syrup in my fridge because I love maple syrup. It's the best gift. My family gives me maple syrup for Christmas every year. And so it's like the perfect little taste of home. It's interesting though because it wasn't until I moved away and came to Arizona and now that we go back and visit, Vermont has an extremely high sweet tooth tolerance. (laughs) Everything is so sugary and so sweet. And I mean, my dad makes this like orange chicken with like maple covered carrots and like, I mean, it's delicious, but it's so sweet, especially after living in the desert. Uh, So we don't use as much maple syrup as I used to when I first moved out here, but I have bacon maple syrup. I have elderberry maple syrup. I have – my favorite is honestly bourbon maple syrup. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'll take 10 of those, please. I know. I know. (laughs) I ask for it every year because it's like maple syrup that's been put inside an old bourbon barrel and it just kind of sits there and kind of soaks up the bourbon Mm. oak kind of, you know, flavor. So yeah, so we've got lots of different kinds of maple syrup in my fridge and it's always fun. We actually did a taste test where we made pancakes for all of our friends. All of our friends came over and we put all the different maple syrups out on the table and everybody tried each kind And it was so fun to just introduce people to that little taste of Vermont. So maple syrup is an addiction. (laughs) Maple syrup and ice cream. I have to say that ice cream is my love language. Ooh, yeah. It just is. It speaks to me in a way that nothing, you know, cookies are great, cupcakes, (laughs) donuts, ice cream. Mm. Mm. It's, Mm. It's like, it's like a love affair. You know, what's your favorite kind of Ben and Jerry's ice cream? Oh, it doesn't matter. It's just ice cream. Uh, you know, don't, it doesn't have to be a brand. Just I, people say you want ice cream. Yes, please. <laughs> I love, love, love ice cream. I love but it. here's a last question for you. What's the weirdest thing you put that you put maple syrup on? Ooh, weirdest thing that I put maple syrup on. Well, my husband thinks it's weird that I put it on my eggs. But scrambled I syrup on scrambled, scrambled eggs. eggs. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, I can see that. Yeah. And another thing too is in Vermont, we've got our sugar shacks, which is where you make, you boil the sap to make the syrup. And one of my favorite things to do is it has to be super cold, like below freezing. And you go outside and you scoop up fresh snow, not the yellow stuff, but fresh snow. <laughs> and you pour this boiling hot maple syrup on top of the the snow. It's called sugar snow. And it forms like a hard candy almost immediately. Oh, I'm down. And you can pick it up and eat it. And that's my favorite way to eat maple syrup is like on fresh snow right from a sugar shack. (laughs) Okay. Here's an ice cream thing. Vanilla ice cream with Mm -hmm. that sugar shack maple syrup, like cracked into pieces and you sprinkle it on top. Mm. You okay. got me. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> See, listen, I'm like, I'm like, ooh, I'm thinking now about I'm all this ice cream stuff. <laughs> I'm drooling now. Great. <laughs> uh, Britt, it's been such a pleasure having you on, um, getting to know you more as a entrepreneur, but as a military spouse and everyone's journey is different. It really is. Yeah. And it's interesting when you were talking about 
how pe- other military spouses didn't really know their military spouses or that they actually were considered only because veterans don't feel like they're veterans sometimes. Sometimes they're told by their own family that, you know, that, oh, all you did was sit behind a desk. You're not really a veteran. And so that really resonated with me. But wow. um, give us your contact info again, just be- just in case no one, um, they were trying to write it down, but so that we know how to get in contact with you. Yeah, everything just goes through at New Altitudes on Instagram. There's an underscore between new and altitudes. But honestly, if you type in new altitudes in one of like six accounts, you'll find me. Well, it's been a pleasure, Britt. Um, I hope everyone listening got a chance to learn a little bit more about Britt, about her entrepreneur, entrepreneurship journey and all the things that she's doing. You know, if you want to be a guest on her podcast, you're you know close enough. You could be part of her new altitudes, which I think is great. And I love Arizona. I, you know, I need to come see you. Um, (laughs) I'm just saying, but again, thank you so much for listening as always, please stay safe, take care of each other until next time. And it's never too late to start your impossible. Thank you.